What are the toughest cybersecurity challenges that healthcare entities are dealing with these days? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Gallagher, a Managing Director at PricewaterhouseCoopers in the company's health industry, privacy, and security practice. Lisa is also a Federal Advisor on Health IT Standards, and before joining PwC earlier this year, Lisa was a longtime privacy and security leader at the Healthcare Information and Management System Society, or HIMSS. So now, Lisa, as you deal with organizations within the healthcare sector, what emerging trends are you seeing lately in cybersecurity that are most disturbing to you? We are in an environment where the threat is constantly changing and is very sophisticated. We are, as an industry, taking a pretty in-depth look at the threat motivators. So what is it that the perpetrator is after and what are their tactics? So one of the trends, of course, we're seeing is ransomware. You've seen a lot of that in the press, organizations sort of having a situation where they are not able to access their data in the EHR and other systems, and that data is essentially being held for ransom. Now, if we look at the work that organizations are doing in their security and cybersecurity work in the institution, they're getting to the point where they're dealing with daily, fairly sophisticated threats. But when we look at ransomware, we have to make sure that we have a plan in place for what will the actions that will be taken by the organization, but also what is their resiliency, what is their business continuity plan, so that if there is an issue of access or availability to the patient data, what are the backup processes to keep the business running and be able to treat patient. So there is a specific focus on that to get prepared for and deal with that kind of threat along with basically taking a look at all of the different types of threats and threat motivators that are out there. So, Lisa, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of ransomware attacks in the healthcare sector, especially over the first few months of this year. It seems to have quieted down a little. Are hospitals still a big target for ransomware, and are these organizations quietly mitigating these attacks? What's the status overall, do you think, at this point with these attacks? Well, I do think it may appear to be quiet. I think there have been a few ransomware attacks, and in some cases, we don't know about them. They're not covered in the press, but still does happen. I would say that organizations are working very hard to mitigate that threat and to have a plan in place that involves everyone in you know, the security group and IT, but also the executives, the COO, the CFO, the CEO, on how exactly they would handle that threat. And so I think that they're better prepared to deal with it. It's still not 100% locked down, but I think understanding, studying what's happened in the highly publicized attacks and getting prepared to deal with that and, of course, working on disaster recovery and business continuity planning, I think we're getting a good awareness out there that, that there has to be a specific plan in place for that kind of attack. Now, Lisa, you mentioned that PwC is working on a solution for cyber threat information sharing within the healthcare sector. And then last year, there was some cybersecurity legislation signed into law that sort of promotes the idea of information sharing within the healthcare sector and other sectors. Where do you see the biggest gaps in terms of healthcare sector organizations sharing information with, with each other when it comes to cyber information and cyber threat information, and how do they compare with other industries, do you think? 
Well, I think up until this legislation was passed, which codified ISAOs and codified the regulatory relief that you can get by operating an ISAO, for example, from antitrust and from prosecution, those sorts of things that were codified in the law that went through the end of last year in the omnibus bill. Prior to that, healthcare organizations were primarily getting threat data feeds from, let's say, a national-level ISACs and from Department of Homeland Security. That sort of, we've been operating in an almost single-directional threat data feed to the healthcare organizations. The administration, through the presidential directive on ISAOs and also the Congress through the legislation on ISAOs, is really encouraging every sector to start doing organization-to-organization threat data sharing so that we get information to each other on what we're seeing in terms of threat, threat actors, et cetera, indicators of compromise. Now, just with some of the organizations that I'm working with and talking to, part of the challenge with getting started is sometimes organizations think they don't have information to share. They're getting information in from multiple sources, and they're sort of, you know, managing their own systems, but do they have data to share proactively that's in the right format and that is actionable? I think part of our solution is to figure out how to help get them there, figure out how to maybe start some early and basic threat data sharing, and then work with the individual organizations to gather the threat data that they they actually do have and prepare it for sharing into the ISAO organization. The benefits for them to do that are compelling at this point. We can do quick turnaround on analytics. We can do look back, say, well, this hospital saw something like this a month ago, et cetera. And, and so the localized or affinity group-based sharing is going to be very valuable to them. And so it's really a question of just getting over that initial hump, getting over that perceived barrier of not having anything to share and, and moving organizations into a way of working such that they are sharing and that they are taking the analytics that come back to them and taking action upon them. So we're, with our service, trying to get at what is the root of the challenge and see if we can help organizations move forward. In your work with healthcare organizations, what sort of trends do you see in terms of their security controls? Where do they seem to be struggling most that seems to contribute to a lot of the problems that they're having with breaches? I mean, I think most organizations have a set of security controls in place, and they're also mapping to sort of national level, whether it's NIST or otherwise, cybersecurity frameworks. But right now, with the sophistication and frequency of the threat, it's a question of managing those controls. So they're never going to stay static. There always needs to be analysis to see what kinds of threats we're seeing, what kinds of things have been successful, making changes, almost to a daily basis. So it's a new new sort of battle every day, and then adjustments need to be made. I also think we still need further training within the organization so that phishing attacks can be even better mitigated so that everyone understands their responsibility in terms of being part of the security control solution, so doing things according to policy and procedure and helping the organization keep secure. And then finally, I think we are actually getting to a point where we're managing security risk as part of overall business risk, so we're seeing more attention to it at this C-suite level. And I think that's the right thing to do. Now we are, in addition to working on usefulness and using the threat data that we have available, we also are working on putting a set of metrics in place that actually measure the effectiveness of the security function in mitigating 
and managing security risk, but also overall business risk. So that process of going back and saying, okay, here's what we have in place now, and we need to find ways to measure it and, and communicate it to senior and executive management and board of directors in a way that speaks to business risk, and we're working on that as well. So it's a different paradigm. It's not just put layered security in place and hope it works, but it's an actual everyday on-the-ground management of that and then a balance of how you buy additional technology, hire additional staff, or even insure away some of the risk with cyber risk policy in terms of insurance. So we see a lot more work on the ground to keep everyday management of the security controls and then also involvement of the executives and the board in terms of management of business risk as a team. When it comes to cybersecurity and improving cybersecurity within the healthcare sector, are there any emerging security technologies that you think healthcare entities and business associates should be paying more attention to? Are there certain things that they're underutilizing in terms of help from a technology standpoint with their security? Well, I wouldn't say that there's a single technology that I would point at, but I do think that I see provider organizations still working on sort of gathering data from all the tools and logs and everything that they already have implemented into a centralized function where they're doing their own analysis and then also being able to leverage either you know, raw threat data or data analytics on threats into that same function. Some call it a security operations center um, you know, a SIM tool, security incident management tool, but basically some sort of centralized function that's up and running and operating within their own institution and then also communicating outside to an ISAC or an ISAO. So that's where I think we're headed. I mean, I see, you know, a lot of organizations have up and running SOCs and some are still working on it and trying to get it more sophisticated and operating well. That's kind of where we are, I think. There's a variety of tools out there, and I see those tools are all evolving sort of to the next generation. And so, you know, organizations will spend a lot of time trying to track what are the new and best individual security tools to start leveraging and how to do that in a way that's sort of organized and follows a process. And then, again, centralizing all of the feeds from the logs and other things into an analysis function internally. Now, Lisa, you're also co-chair of the ONC Health IT Standards Committee, and you're also on a federal precision medicine task force. What's your data security and privacy advice to healthcare organizations that might be considering to become involved with precision medicine? What sorts of special obstacles should they be prepared to deal with when it comes to protecting and exchanging sensitive patient data related to genomics, for instance? Well, I do think that there are some national level challenges that we have in terms of both data security and privacy or control of data on behalf of the patients or by the patients. So so we're looking at that both on the Standards Committee and the Federal Precision Medicine Task Force. I think for organizations that want to participate and even individuals that want to participate, we need at a national level to have basically a security architecture designed into that system. So as we create this precision medicine set of data, I don't want to say database, but collection of data. We need to design in a security architecture that considers security as part of the design. And then I would say on the privacy side, we really need to work on our consent model 
for the initiative, but also on computerizing or sort of making those consents from the patient computable as we make decisions about how information will be used. And so in the meantime, the provider organizations or anyone that has data that wants to contribute to it is going to have to interact directly with patients in some cases to contribute that data or to encourage patients to contribute directly. And those are all issues that we're talking about at the national level. So everyone realizes the benefits that can be realized from leveraging the data that we already have. We just have to do it in a way that, one, has a protection model built into the technical architecture, and two, considers how we gather consent from patients when necessary and how we use those consents, hopefully electronically. And so that's kind of the environment that we're in. I think we have a lot to work on, but I think it's going well because I do think that everyone understands the key privacy and security issues and that we have an opportunity to sort of design that in from the beginning. And finally, Lisa, in terms of the Health IT Standards Committee, anything that we should be watching for right now or in the near future? We're working on a lot of things. So in recent months, we've had the API Task Force, which is looking at application programming interfaces as a way to sort of unlock interoperability to get access to data in a sort of more efficient Internet standards-based way. The API Task Force just produced a report that gave recommendations on how we should handle APIs themselves and how they connect to, say, an EHR, but also the type and nature of the applications that a patient might want to use to access their own data and how we educate the patients on how they can do that in a secure manner and what their part is in that. We also are working on a number of other task forces. One is regarding interoperability, the interoperability experience task force. There's a lot going on, and I think ONC does a really good job of maintaining its website for the federal advisory committees. And so you can see the presentations and the transmittal letters, which provide our recommendations to the national coordinator. And you can also see our upcoming agendas. We're now having... Pretty much 100% of the time we have joint meetings by the policy committee so that we can work on the issues together, and that's going very well also. So lots of exciting stuff going on there. Thanks, Lisa. I've been speaking to Lisa Gallagher. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.